fine folks out there. Welcome to the newest episode of Multimedium, the podcast where me and my illustrious co-host, Mr. Tim Long, mm-hmm. talk about uh, adaptations in their yes. various forms. Pretty standard this time around. We're going with a book that was adapted into a film, uh, Jurassic Park, by Michael Crichton and Steven Spielberg, respectively. Both very, very popular in their own way. In their in own their, worlds. Yes. Yes, both, both very popular, but both very different. Interesting. We're going to dig into it a lot here, and I think it's well worth digging into. I think you probably... We haven't really talked about this, actually. Usually, you and I have some conversations beforehand a little bit about um, just our basic thoughts on how we felt about it. You and I really haven't briefed each other on this yet, so I'm curious to see... We texted a little bit back and forth right after I finished the yeah, book. But but yeah, but I'm curious to see. It is, and I think you would agree, and please, if you disagree, you know, by all means... Uh, they are very, very different versions of the same story. Yes. And that is, I think, why I wanted to do this one and why it makes it such an interesting adaptation to me. Um, we'll get into it. Um, before that, we have a little bit of feedback to talk about. And uh, you can send us feedback. Specifically, we love episode ideas, right? So this is a, you know, our other show, if you haven't listened to, is Horror Movie Yearbook, uh, where Tim and I discuss uh, various horror films in the years they were made. That is a lot easier to pick subject matter for than multimedia is because multimedia we want to keep it interesting we want to keep it fresh we want to do different versions of adapting a material right so we don't just want to do book to movie we like to mix it up so it's it is tricky it's tough to find things but we got some really good feedback on our discord um which you can actually become a part of by supporting us on our patreon uh is that patreon.com slash midwest podcast network i believe that's what it is that will bring it up yes um <laughs> We're on Patreon. Find yeah. us. Mid- Midwest Podcast Network. I should um, get the... Uh, yeah, patreon.com, Midwest Podnet. Yeah. Yep. So thank you for checking that out. Um, and uh, we've got some great discussions going on in Discord. And that's where we got most of our um, feedback this time around. Uh, specifically, some episode ideas. I want to talk about those. But if you want to send us episode ideas or any other feedback, um, thoughts on Jurassic Park would be great. Um, you can do so by emailing us. Um, multimediumpodcast at gmail.com we are on Twitter and Instagram and all the social media platforms you can search for us multimedium podcast or multimedium pod I believe on Twitter um, yeah send us feedback we'd love to hear from you guys but um, got some episode ideas from some folks on the discord um, one idea from front of the show Mr. Dave Steele uh, and fantastic pizza maker by the way yes um, adventures in pizza making yes on Instagram, Instagram yes delicious looking pizzas adventures in pizza of, making check him out yes um, if you like is, looking at delicious looking pizzas yes. this is the Instagram for you and some of the Midwest Podcast Network family um, have actually tasted some of the fine pizzas made by it, Mr. Dave Steele and it got their seal of approval very much so yes, yes high praise um, but uh, Dave sent us the idea of doing uh, the Flintstones movie um, obviously, the Flintstones is you know most well known as the classic Hanna Barbera cartoon. I believe it started in what was it? I think it's seventies. Seventies, right? I... Yeah, I'm not great with that sometimes. <laughs> um, it, but uh, it was adapted into a film in the '90s starring Rick Moranis and um, um, John Goodman. And uh, yeah, fun idea. I think that will definitely be on our list of things to do. Um, oh my goodness! At some point here, the first episode of the Flintstones, nineteen sixty. Sixty, okay. way off. So yeah, we were way us. off. Yeah. I was gonna say sixties, but I felt like it was too old. Um, also, uh, Dave Steele also mentioned the Brady Bunch, which I think is would be a really fun one. I the, really like the Brady Bunch movies. Right. So yeah. so the show was what it was. I think we would both agree on that. But uh, they did a, I think, a very interesting job of making it a pretty faithful adaptation of what the show was, but also making it a spoof. It's kind of a beautiful 
line they walk. Yeah. So I'd like to talk about that at some point as well. Gary Cole, an amazing performance. Excellent performance. <laughs> um, uh, the founder, Mr. Alex Morell, uh, gave us an idea about perhaps doing a um, movie that was adapted into a video game. Yeah. Um, which is a fun way to adapt things. There are plenty of those. But I'd like to do one that has some level of, like, there's a lot of crappy, just, like, thrown together, like, product video game adaptations of movies just to like coincide with the movie's release i'm th- looking at like a lot of the early like marvel video games when well, those then we might be talking a little bit about one that's like half crappy to me at least right one yeah. one part is not crappy one part's kind of sweet right but, yeah yeah no we're gonna talk about that <laughs> um but uh dave steel uh alex had thrown out a fight club because it was a fighting game on the ps2 oh yeah um that was adapted from the movie not great um dave Steele also mentioned some some games uh the godfather from russia with love uh bruce mentioned peter jackson's king kong the official game of the movie which is like the title of it <laughs> peter jackson's king kong the official game of the movie how great is that <laughs> um and uh yeah but we did get and we'll just announce it here our next episode is going to be um the warriors which yes. is a video game and a movie a movie first and a video game second um video game was made by rockstar games of um grand theft auto and red dead redemption fame um it came out originally on the ps2 era of of uh consoles it is currently available on the playstation store and i'm sure it's available on xbox somewhere i don't know how I, i'm a playstation guy right now so um, it's probably on Game Pass or something, probably. I would guess. I don't know that for sure. You guys can figure it out. If you don't um, want to play it, I'm sure there are multiple YouTube. walkthroughs yes. or reviews that you can refresh or yeah, find out about. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll be discussing Discover. uh both the uh the original Warriors film um from director Walter Hill and the um the game, the prequel slash adaptation slash sequel game from Rockstar Games. Very Warriors excited about that. Warriors is one of that. my favorite movies, too. One of my all-time favorite yep. movies. The unfortunate thing is it's hard to find the original cut of Warriors now. Uh, yeah, which they, one are we going to go with? They did a kind of... It's not even a different cut, per se. It's just they added weird, like, comic, comic book-y book stuff. Because that's yeah. what Walter Hill wanted, and he did not have the budget to do it back then. I've obviously seen both. Um, I believe I have a copy of the comic booky version and that's the only copy i own because it was okay. really all that was released uh, we'll figure it out is that the one that's probably available on streaming services more now than too? likely okay so that's probably the one i'll watch then <laughs> yeah, it so, is what it is yep um but yeah we'll be doing that next but uh this time around um as we mentioned before we're doing jurassic park um you ready to dive into this thing tim what do you think let's do it so uh, Jurassic Park was a novel written by Michael Crichton, the late Michael Crichton, um, published in 1990 by Knopf, is the publishing company. I don't think Knopf is around anymore. I think they got bought out by somebody, um, which happens a lot with publishing companies. Um, Jurassic Park actually became... Um, They're the no double day group, so I think they may have either merged or... or okay, bought. something yeah. happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jurassic Park began its life as a screenplay, interestingly enough, that Crichton was working on. Uh, so he originally envisioned this as a film, and then um, it kind of wound up... I don't know exactly what the, the evolution of that was, but he wound up determining that it'd be better to just write the novel. Um, it's weird. Parts of his novels... I've, I've read a handful now of Michael Crichton novels. Parts of his novels feel like they are, particularly a lot of the times with the action scenes, stuff, feel like they are written in some ways for the screens and then parts of them absolutely do not feel like they it's are. It's weird, right? Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. You can definitely tell he's inspired, his big inspirations tend to be uh, cinematic of, of a cinematic quality or of a very 
science textbook quality. Yes. Um, both of which are featured in this book. Yes. Um, uh, Jurassic Park became, went on to become a major bestseller and inarguably Crichton's best known work. There's no question that that is certainly Crichton had other, other works, you know, the Andromeda strain, um, Congo, even, um, lots of really, really solid stuff. But he, when you think of Michael Crichton, you think of Jurassic Park, I think at this point. Yeah. And and I think a lot of that has to do with, with the film, the film. Yep. People don't, people don't remember sphere. Oh boy. Yeah. Yikes. Um, there was talk of remaking that and I'm like, why? (laughs) I saw, I saw sphere in the theater. That's such a bummer, dude. Is that the worst movie you've seen in the theater as far as like... Absolutely like, not. Like, I'm sure I've seen some real... Okay. Well, you know what? It's probably well, the one I remember the least. So here's the thing is, I'm, uh, what I mean by that is, is it the worst, like... Th- I've seen plenty of worse movies in the theater, I think, than Sphere. Yeah. But there are certain movies where you're like, God, why did I see that in the theater? That did not require... like This This is because Sphere was like like 98 and I was like 13 or 14 years yeah. old around that time. So like I was going with... What I'm saying is I'm, I was going with Kids of the Movies every week. Yeah. So a lot of these movies, I may have gone in and out. Like, they just kind they of just gotta yeah. go. Yeah, it was just the place to go. When Mine we was younger. Phenomenon with John Travolta. Phenomenon. Why did I see that? I went and saw The Paul Bearer. With, oh, uh, goodness. <laughs> David Schwimmer. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Say no more. Um, the book was also very well received critically. Um, basically a hit in every way you can imagine. Um, did not take terribly long for uh, uh, somebody, uh, namely Steven Spielberg, to um, want to make the movie. Um, he purchased the rights himself for $1.5 million from Crichton. Um, the movie was eventually released in 93. Um it is uh, one of a select number of films that has been preserved by the National Film Registry. This happened a few years back in 2018. Uh, the National Film Registry, for those who don't know, is a um, it is an organization that uh, aims to preserve what are considered culturally important films. Films that are important enough to where they should be put in a time capsule and if... Uh, humans die out and some alien race shows up years later and wants to research what we've created. This is one of the films they want them to see. Right. Like, like that's how important this stuff is. Like star Wars is in there. Citizen Kane's in there. there. There's, there's, there's a, it's, it's a testament to, I think the film that it was, uh, put in the, in the film registry, especially the, like the special effects at the time too. Yes. I remember that being a huge, the com- combination of the computer effects and the, the St- Stan Winston, right? Stan Winston. Yes. Animatronics. As this well. might be the greatest example of, of a marriage between practical and CG effects. I think I honestly feel that way. Um, in film, um, at the time of its release, uh, Jurassic Park became the highest grossing film of all time. Um, it defeated E.T. Um, so Spielberg beat Spielberg. It's like Cameron, man. He keeps trying to right. beat himself. Um, the film was also very well received critically. So basically, Jurassic Park all around was a hit. In whatever form it took, Jurassic Park did well. Critically, commercially, so on and so forth. Um, Tim, before we dig into... Uh, the, the the characters of both the book and the film. Um, I want to know what your first exposure to Jurassic Park was. I'm going to hazard a guess that it was probably the film, but uh, what yeah. was it? it? No, it was definitely the film. So I'll go through a couple of, I'll just go through a little bit of my early experience with like just Jurassic Park in general. So I went and saw it with my parents because I remember, and my brother, uh, it was one of those things, I, I'm sure I wanted to see it. And I know it was something that my parents probably wanted to see as well. So I remember we went either the first weekend, one of the opening weekends. It was kind of a, it was kind of like a, 
like a thing like it was an event yeah to it go was see an, Jurassic it, Park. Yeah. It was, yeah an event ty- type deal like it came out during the summer so it was it was one that like the whole family wanted to see too yeah. um so yes yeah, so we all went it wasn't like my my parents uh me dragging my parents to go see ninja turtles <laughs> everybody was excited <laughs> yeah, to go everybody see was it. excited yeah. to go see this one and yeah i loved it i was uh um, not a big, like, I wasn't like a, I was never like a big ni- dinosaur nerd growing up. I think it's part of it. Maybe my, uh, I, I went to Catholic school as a kid. So I know that dinosaurs aren't real, that the bones are just planted by Satan, the fossils, like they're planted by Satan's to, to trick people. So like, is that a thing? <laughs> is that really a thing? Honestly, you know what? Not, I don't no, want to dig into it. It is a, it is a very fringy. Okay. okay. Yeah. A very fringy thing. I, I don't, I don't mean to. I never heard that. So yeah. I, yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, anyway, so I, I I got like into dinosaurs uh, probably around Jurassic Park probably like seeing them it was yeah I was think it inspired by Jurassic Park getting into dinosaurs was that something that probably that, yeah. I mean I'm sure like once I saw like pictures of dinosaurs I'm like oh these are cool yeah. little things but I remember like being kind of into them like I'm sure a lot of kids were sure. around that time so um, then I um, from there so the weird my first exposure to the book is weird and kind of tied into this is I had a I had a teacher that like just randomly started talking about going to see Jurassic Park and how much he hated it. He's like, it is, he, he basically called it just like saccharine, like saccharine, like crap, like just over sentimental, just like garbage compared to this book. And I remember to the teacher now, and now that I've like grown, I'm like, Oh yeah, he, yeah, he might think that way. He believed this. <laughs> yes. He definitely believed this. But I remember like, I remember like really like being angry by this too. As a kid, I'm like, why don't you shut up? This movie's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I don't care about your lame book, you nerd. <laughs> anyway. So I remember that. And then I remember playing the video game for Sega. Sega well. Genesis. Sega me Genesis. Too. Yeah, me too. And this is what I was talking about a little earlier. The part where you could play was as the Raptor was sweet. So we should mention, so this game was released on Sega Genesis. This was um, one of those time periods where every movie, every major blockbuster had a game made of it. Right. Uh, everything. And most of them were not very good. Jurassic Park was all right. And you were about to say, you could choose you at could the beginning, choose. do you want to play as Alan Grant, right? Yes. Or do you want to play as a Velociraptor? And I, you, I would pick the Velociraptor every time because it was way cooler. And, You're a Velociraptor. And you could jump. You could actually jump. Alan Grant can't jump in the yeah, game. And he kind of hops. He had like a gun too, right? Well, yeah, you could switch between like a Trank gun yeah. so you could take out like the the more peaceful dinosaurs but they would like wake back up. Right. And then he got like machine guns later and stuff. It was ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> See, I never, I don't think I ever got that far because I would just play as the Velociraptor and if I, it was an old Sega game that like wouldn't save. Yeah. So. <laughs> of course. I would only get to a certain point with the Velociraptor and I'd get to her and i go, whatever, I'll play something, I'll play it a little bit. But yeah. I remember liking the Velociraptor portion of the game. That's and, the better part. Yeah, not the so much the thing. And then one more game related thing is this had one of the best pinball games of all time. Great. The Jurassic Park Great. pinball game where, where I believe there was a T-Rex in the middle that would a catch A big head at least, right? Yes. That would like bite the ball and stuff like that. Or would, like start chomping and things like that. Yes. I think. That would uh, that would bite the ball. And then one more thing. I used to go to, as a kid, we would go to amusement parks. And I was always like a big Universal Studios Florida yeah. fan. And they have the raft adventure there. which is Where the T-Rex head comes out, right? Comes out. You're kind of, yeah, it's basically like a water ride. And you go around and... um you're basically going down the park as it's been overrun. It's very similar to a scene in the book we'll talk about Yeah, later. which was not adapted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep, which was not in the movie, but it, it was a kind of a cool offshoot of, uh, kind of in its way, the theme park ride is a cool adaptation of that scene. Interestingly enough, the Sega Genesis game, yeah. there's a sequence... Where from the book, where your Grant on a river on a raft and the T Rex head comes out. Oh, so they cool. actually adapted that multiple times. Yes, in other 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll, yeah, we'll get to that later, but I remember I, I really loved that ride, but as, as I've gotten older and I haven't gone as much to that park, but I also don't like, you would get kind of wet on the ride. Yeah. Like it was a water ride. So you get kind of wet. And as I get older, I really don't like water rides anymore <laughs> because I walk around all day in wet shorts and it's awful. Yeah. It's so. a bummer. Yeah. Everything's <laughs> sticking to you. And yeah, it's so. like, it's why I don't like the beach. Right. <laughs> I'm good. So, so anyway, that is my, um, okay. That is my experience as a younger younger person, and then as I didn't read the book all the way through until this oh, recent. Cool. This is this, your first this time is my doing first this. all the way. I tried to read it. I think I tried to read it when I was younger, and I talked about this a little bit too. Is but then I got like a little bit into it. I'm like, this is not like the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so for sure. Yep. Uh, my first exposure was also the movie, no question. Um, I went and saw it in the theater, probably opening weekend, if not maybe the following week. Um, with a friend, I believe a friend and a friend's parent, mom or something, and uh, went and saw it. Loved it. Instantly became obsessed with dinosaurs. Um, two movies really shaped my two major, my two major like occupational interests as a kid. Uh, this one was the first one, and I desperately wanted to be a paleontologist after this. Seeing this movie, that's all I wanted to do. And then when Stargate came out, I decided I wanted to be an archaeologist Hell yeah. because Stargate rocked. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I really, really, really wanted to be an archaeologist. Also a movie, a 90s movie based on a book with a Sega Genesis adaptation, interestingly enough. Um, but uh, it had an impact on me. And uh, I was a huge fan. I think I saw it another time in the theaters as well. And I remember talking to my dad about it afterwards and how cool it was. And, and he thought it was awesome that I was getting into dinosaurs and stuff. And he go, but he he goes, that movie's got nothing on the book. Oh, he's like my teacher. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> interesting. And he goes, the book's way. He goes, he goes, the movie's good. He goes, but the book. Oh, so he's not like my teacher. No, no, no. no. <laughs> he liked the movie. No, no. He liked the movie. He goes, the movie's good, but the book really digs in. It gets really. He goes, I remember him being like, the book's really nasty. And I was like, oh. And as a kid, liking horror movies and stuff, as I've mentioned before on another show, um, this what my this was like my my uh, interest was peaked because I was like, the book is like a horror version essentially of the which is in some part true, um, and he's like, yeah, everybody's terrible and evil in the book, and like John Hammond's not nice in the book, and blah blah blah. And I remember him telling me, and if you're listening to this, there are spoilers for the book and the movie. I would hope that you would have figured that out at this point. If not, turn back now. Um, I remember my interest really being piqued when he spoiled it for me and said, oh, John Hammond gets ripped apart by dinosaurs. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, but he's evil. And I'm like, I got to read this fucking book. And I, it took me a couple years to read the book. I could never get past the in the opening stuff because it takes a little while to get to the island. And I just, my, my child brain couldn't, I couldn't get through a lot of the subplot and we'll talk about it in the book regarding like the concern about things reaching the mainland i just bored it bored me and so but i eventually read my dad's copy of the book and i still have my dad's copy of the book up there amazingly the cover is falling apart it's a i mean but i still have the same book i read as a kid which is kind of great he he just let me take it which is awesome um i won't we'll never get rid of it despite the fact that it's on its last legs yeah um it's up there somewhere. We're looking at my bookshelf, by the way. Um, just so, yeah, for all our listeners, we're looking at a bookshelf. Um, anyway, so uh, that was my exposure, and I and I I you know I loved the book upon finally reading it in my teens. Um, I appreciated how different it was, uh, but I still had 
an adoration and a love for the movie. And I think that still holds true. And, and we'll get into that. Um, so, yeah. Did you have uh, a favorite dinosaur as a kid? I want to know yours. Yes. Allosaurus. 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 So Allosaurus, um, I was a big fan of because um, T-Rex, I always thought was kind of derpy. Like he was awesome, but he was kind of derpy and he was too much the go-to guy. I wanted something a little off the beaten path. And, but I wanted something a little bigger than a raptor, and I, I had the option in, in fifth grade, which was not, let me see, I was born in 86, Jurassic Park came out in 93, so I would have been, do the math for me, seven years old, yeah. so I wasn't too far away from fifth grade, I guess, I was, well, I would probably be in second grade at that point, is that right? First grade, you're like, I'm really bad with grades. First grade, yeah. I think you're like six years old. And then, yeah, so I was like, let's say second grade. A couple of years later, I had the opportunity to write a, pick a dinosaur and write a, write a report on the dinosaur. And somehow I got Allosaurus. I don't know if it was assigned to me or not. And I just became a big fan of Allosaurus. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking um, at Allosaurus. They were right badasses. Yeah, they, they had were... three claws instead of two. Spiky uh, tail, too. Yeah. Like. Yeah, they were they were smaller than a T-Rex, but it, they were known apparently to hunt A little bit packs. longer arms, it looks like, too. Yeah, they could tear... Not sh- particularly long arms, but a little bit. A little longer than the... Yeah, a little more gangly than the T-Rex. What was your favorite? Uh, I was a big Triceratops guy. Um, I like the I like I like the horns. I like how it kind of looks like a just like a rhino, um, but I like the horns and I like its big like fan the frill thing the frill thing yeah. yeah. And I always he was a herbivore right. Triceratops yeah. was a herbivore. Yep. So I always like the plant eaters because I was a big Brontosaurus guy too. Yeah, you like the planters, but you kind of like one that can like kick some ass if it needs to. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing is I Triceratops Stegosaurus was cool too because he had the he had the spikes oh, on the back. Cool. But yeah. I was more of a Triceratops guy because of the yeah. thing, and also I think because there was that Ninja Turtles character named Triceratops. Triceratons. Yeah. yeah, so I yep. think I was drawn to him in that. And then, like, in the movie here, this is he's the one that's sick. This Triceratops is the one that's sick. Yeah. So I always kind of, like, felt, like, bad for yeah, him. Yeah, you feel terrible. <laughs> so yeah. they seem like gentle giants, and I like that. I don't, that's awesome. Raptors, you're right. T-Rex is all the rage. Um, raptors got became all the rage. They're just too cool. After this movie. They're too cool for me. Yeah, raptors are too cool. Yeah. And plus, they're they're scary. They could eat you. The Triceratops gentle giant. Yeah. Yeah. Dinonychus are way cooler than raptors. Yeah. Yeah, Dinonychus are sweet. Yeah. They're bigger and they're, yeah. Yeah, I like the Dinonychus. Um, I think this is all memory based on my fifth grade <laughs> self. So let's, don't correct me, please. Yeah. Remember, this is not recent. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of people as they get older get less into dinosaurs, which is too bad. It's too bad. Yeah. Josie's into dinosaurs right now, which is pretty rad. Good. I don't know if she's ready for Jurassic Park, but. Okay. Maybe they have Jurassic Park kid, Camp Crustaceous. On yeah, Netflix. I've heard it's sweet. Is it? I've heard it's really good. Okay. I haven't I have not watched it yet. I will probably watch it at some point with her. Okay, watch that and then watch Fast and Furious Spy Racers and tell me how it is. I'll report back. <laughs> anyway, um okay, so let's dig into this thing. Um I want to mention up front we're gonna kinda go character by character because we've done that in the past and I think it's a fun way to kinda go through the plot without going through the plot. Yeah. Um but I do want to mention bef- up front, there is I think the big major difference between the book and the film in terms of the events that take place are the book's inclusion of a major subplot involving the potential of the dinosaurs reaching the mainland and the ticking clock of we need to get word to the mainland to stop this boat before raptors start running around in like modern civilization. Yeah. Um, there's none of that in the movie. None of that is even remotely... Uh, addressed in the movie. So, and and with that subplot come characters like uh, Martin Gutierrez, who is a doctor you meet very early on in the book before you meet the the leads, um, and kind of his his quest to determine what this creature is that attacked a young girl in in I think Venezuela is it? Yeah, Venezuela, Costa Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Yes, Costa Rica. Yeah. 
Um, all of that is excised from the film, and I totally get it. And it makes like it is not necessary. It's some of the meaner stuff anyway. In the it's kind of used as inspiration for the opening of the second movie. Yes, right? yeah, yes. It uh, Spielberg is able to take quite a bit from the book that he didn't use and put it in the second film. Right. There's arguably more from the from the book, the first book in the second film than there is from the second book, which is very funny to me. Um, we'll briefly talk about that at the end here. But, yeah. Um, but I just want to mention that. I, uh, did you have any particular feelings on the subplot? Was it interesting to you, the idea of these things maybe getting to the mainland? Was it kind of like, get to the di- islands, please? Get to the no, island, please? So it, this is, I mean, this is tough. It's, uh, books and movies are so much, uh, I mean, there's advantages to both of them and disadvantages to yes. both of them as well. Right. I because of the way I've grown up consuming media is I tend to be more into movies and weirdly enough like I also have a brain that like wants to edit things like as I see them like edit it down edit it down you don't need this you don't need this especially in a movie where yeah I kind of I kind of want to just get to the meat of things and Mm -hmm. then if I you know what if I want more I'll go read the book (laughs) that's that's always kind of how I've been and so I've never I've never been one that's just always like the book is better than the movie because I know that's kind of a yeah, yeah. a prevalent feeling. There are there are certainly times when that is true, right? But just because something has more to me doesn't necessarily mean that. I, so I completely agree. Yeah. So, but this is one of those things where I kind of liked, and some of it may have just been my familiarity with the Lost World sequel and finally seeing this in 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 the book form, but and kind of relating it back to that. Mm-hmm. But I liked it in the book, but it was also. Yeah, I do. I, I'm I'm fine with it being left out of the movie because yeah. the way the movie opens with the with the raptor attack and all that is 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 effective in its own way yeah. as well. And I think and I think it gets it cuts to the chase a little quicker. Yeah, and 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 the character of Martin Gutierrez is only in the book. I I believe I, there is a character in the movie who may or may not be Martin Gutierrez. I don't think he's ever named. Right. Um. He's pretty much a book character, and and he kind of bookends the story, right? Because we start with him. And we check in with him a couple times, I believe, throughout the course of the book. But he kind of ends the... I believe he has the last line uh, to Grant about, like, you ain't going anywhere for a while. Like, you're stuck here for a while. Yeah. Um, so he he's, he kind of provides a nice bookend. And I think the character is interesting. And I think it creates a sense of mystery. Because uh, you got to remember, I mean, going into reading this book, there was no movie, right? And so you have... But you, you, I'm sure most folks that started reading the book had some had some indication that uh, dinosaurs were involved based on the title, based on the synopsis and things like that. But you don't... I can't imagine going to the book, you 100% knew how that was all going to play out, right? Um, so the Martin Gutierrez stuff is cool because it does kind of gradually ease you into the idea of this world building it both as a as a plausible scientific um, origin of, of the island and the dinosaurs and the theme park and everything he kind of is a nice window into that world of science that helps you kind of buy into the idea that dinosaurs could be brought back right. and creates a sense of mystery and a sense of terror and sets up the ticking clock which is funny because usually in the, your movies you feel like you need a ticking clock as a storytelling structure it's not always as as important I don't think in books No, but that ticking clock thing is is excised from but movie. like you mentioned, yeah, like you mentioned, this started out as a screenplay, so I wonder if exactly. maybe that is You why. have to wonder, right. Yeah. So um, for whatever reason, and I think it was the right call, Spielberg decided not to include this this stuff. Is there anything else you want to talk about with that subplot or Martin Gutierrez before we move on to kind of our leads? Um, um, no, the only other thing that is cut, I think, and maybe it ties into that subplot too, is kind of the um, 
um, the the morphing into the male female stuff with the yes that, with, yes there's more detail to that in the book certainly there's more detail in the book and then cutting that because they do cut a lot of that it's it's briefly mentioned in the movie but that gets rid of rid of and I guess we'll get to it when we get the Doctor Wu related stuff yes so yeah um, I do want to mention I the the other the only other thing about the subplot that I think really sets the tone for the book. And what separates, in a large ways, the book from the film is the grimness of the book, the nastiness of the book. This is a horror story. This is science gone wrong. There's none of that Spielberg wonder and charm, really, in the book. Uh, Even those moments that do have a little bit of that are usually undercut by the reality of what's going on and the horror of what's going on and the even characters that are caught up in the the magic and the marvel and i'm thinking particularly of the scene where they see first see the dinosaurs right in the movie it's treated as this beautiful grand moment of like it's beautiful it's a beautiful moment and um they're all kind of caught up in that for a while and you as a viewer are caught up in that for a while you can't not be in the book they are caught up in that moment but like within seconds they're going this isn't good. No, not, <laughs> there's no like reverence, like the way when that there's music not. kicks in in the movie. Uh, it's very much a it's very much a positive look at creation. Whereas this one is like the book is very much gods and monsters, like l- people playing God, creating very island monsters. of Doctor Moreau in a lot of ways. Island, of, yeah, a lot. Of, it plays back into a lot of those classic horror tropes of man reaching for things that maybe he shouldn't, that should be left to the gods. Yes, basically. yes, exactly. Um, and, and you know, and I think that that's that's certainly the horror element or the the the, the terror element is accentuated by the idea that like the first victims of these of these dinosaurs reaching any semblance of civilization are like children and babies. Mm-hmm. They mention babies being eaten in their cribs. It, that is some horrifying shit. Yeah. So they set the tone pretty quickly. Yes. Um. Anyway, let's move on. Let's let's talk about our, our our lead characters here, and I'm very excited about this. Let's start with Alan Grant because Alan Grant is kind of. I think he's like a childhood hero for a lot of us that grew up in the 90s, right? Like he, like Sam Neill, I think, became a rock for us when it comes to the movie adaptation. My favorite character in the movie. Yeah, no yeah. question. Excellent. Um, and let's talk a little bit about the differences between between uh, Grant in the book and the movie. Uh, the I think the beauty of, of the book, Grant, is that he is... He's kind of schlubby, right? Like, he's... He's kind of, he's probably what most paleontologists are. And I don't know that for sure. And I apologize for any paleontologists listening, but he just seems like he's just like, he likes to go out in the desert and do his job and kind of be left to his devices. He's a nice guy, not overly sociable perhaps, but a nice guy. Um, Kind of paunchy, kind of, you know, just he's, he seems like a dude. I don't know <laughs> in the book to me. <laughs> you know, very much, and and then the movie version, yeah. It, compared to him, is movie version's a little bit more Indiana Jonesy in There's some ways. A little ways. more adventure. A little bit more adventure, but he's also he's also a little bit more down to earth than that. Yes, yeah. and then you come with. I think the big difference between the book and the movie is his relationship to the children, right? Yeah. So in the book, he's pretty accepting of the kids right out of the gate. He's not. He's not terribly adverse to like being around the kids, you know, and he's pretty. <clears throat> he's pretty friendly and, and and relatively welcoming. He's he questions why they're there, a couple points, but he's he's very quickly jumping into action and helping the kids and not overly annoyed by everything they're doing. Right in the movie, he like that's a big part of his character is kind of that arc of him learning to soften up, soften a bit, yeah, and, and yeah. be a little bit more um, caring and and 
be more of a be more of a, a, a decent guy, you know, right. in a lot of ways. Be more of a, a human. Not such human. a curmudgeon. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. And I think yeah. both versions of Grant work. It is impossible for me to not think of Sam Neill in this in the, as this character. So when I read the book, it matters very little what Crichton describes him like physically. From, uh, or he's got a beard in this, yeah, in he the does, book. which is kind of sweet. Uh, from what I read, Sam Neill couldn't grow a beard, which is why they didn't do it. He like he he said, "But wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. Time out. Time out. This is a you this is a his wrong beard now? trivia. You see so his beard now? Maybe in 1993 he couldn't. Maybe grow he a beard. couldn't. I don't know. I'm not buying it. He just didn't <laughs> want to have to have a beard and yeah. film those hot scenes and right yeah, and continue know. to maintain it throughout. I shooting. don't blame yeah. blame him. Um, but no, Grant with a beard works, and Sam. I hope I kind of hope that Grant has a beard in this new Jurassic Park film they're doing with Samuel coming back. Yes, is it, so that's that's confirmed. I have not kept up on that. One hundred percent. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. Him and Laura Dern and Goldblum are all back. Goldblum was back in the last one, right? Briefly. Okay. I mean, briefly. Yeah. They're all back in this one. Cool. Okay. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Um. Anyway. <laughs> um. But I, I I like Grant in both versions. For me, you know, for me, it, it, the the definitive Grant will always be Sam Neill's version of Grant. But I do like some of the um, there. There's a certain element of just of feeling more like a real regular working working Joe in the book that I do appreciate. He does feel a little less Indiana Jones, which works in the context of the book for sure. Yes. No question. Um, anything else about Grant we want to talk about? Uh, no, I mean you kind of mentioned a little bit with the kids. He has drawn particularly i believe to tim yes in the in the book because he's of, almost fascinated by tim in the book yeah, yeah. And, it, and i think it's a lot of it is because of tim's fascination with dinosaurs yes. um but beyond that it that main trio to me in the movie like the movie versions of those main three characters mm-hmm. um ellie ian and alan like those three actors embody them to me the whole time yeah. so it's like impossible for me at this point to yeah kind of separate them. it's very hard yes um well let's move on to ellie sattler right yeah. um ellie this will tie back to alan i think a little bit too right so um the, the the big things i think with ellie sattler the big differences here are she's portrayed a little bit as a little bit um i just she's a badass in both certainly and she's got her she's got agency and she's she's a really strong female character i think in both instances there's just something about the laura dern performance that i can't it, like you said, it just she she is so strong, and I think in Jurassic Park, and and kicks just as much, if not more, ass than the than the men in the film. Um, and she's a student of his in the book. In correct? the book, she is a student of his, and they do not. Um, the one of the big differences is they semi hint at a perhaps a bit of a romantic relationship in the film between Grant I, yeah, and... Yeah, so what has always been your take on their relationship in the movie? Because I'm curious about this, because honestly, I've always, I've always, when I watched it, and I didn't know until I read someone else uh, write about this, I always just assumed they were a couple in the movie. But uh, apparently, it's easy to assume. Yes. My assumption is always, in the movie has always been that the two of them have mutual feelings for each other and kind of know it, but Grant's not... He's too much of a curmudgeon to like acknowledge anything. He's too okay. soaked up in his own work. And there's a bit at the end where they are in the helicopter leaving and they both look at the kids and kind of look at each other and it's almost a, a, an acknowledgement of like, I might be ready to accept something beyond just working now. Like I, I might, okay, so I've gotten back in touch with myself. There's almost a romantic look like of like, when we get back and things settle down, like we have to have a conversation about where we stand. Kind of. Okay. Thing. So yeah. So you didn't. So it's not necessarily you read them as being a couple no, for a while an and ready no, to I have don't buy kids. That. I okay. don't buy that. Okay. For me. 
Now, if you get that from it, that's great. And that might be the intention. For me, I never got that as them being an active couple. Might they have... uh, Grant doesn't seem like the hookup kind of guy to me. Nor does Sattler. Um, Might they have had moments? Yeah, sure. I could buy that. We're talking about the movie, right? The movie, yeah. Yeah. I could even buy that maybe they've had intimate moments. It's possible. Yeah. But I don't think he's willing enough to let anybody get close enough to form any sort of Both seem meaningful. very, yeah, driven by their work. Sure. So it could be. Yeah. And she seems more more able to balance uh, work. In the movie, and though, she's, there's a little bit of flirtatious. She flirts there, with That's the other thing is, too, in the movie, Malcolm, there's a jealousy. Too. There's a jealousy between, yes. um, between Alan Grant and uh, Ian Malcolm, the way she reacts to a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the way it's played, at least I think. Yep, and I and, and I think at some point Malcolm asks Grant, "Are you two? And Grant says he they are, but he says it in a way that's not like like that in a way that's like he's just saying it because she's not there and he wants to. Right. He kind of wants to leave, Malcolm to leave her alone a little bit. <laughs> like that's the way he says it. So okay. that's the performance I get out of it. Anyway, okay. Um, but yeah, Sattler's strong a strong character in both both instances, and I think she's pretty adapted pretty fairly um uh what's the word i'm looking for uh it's a pretty straight adaptation of of sattler in my opinion minus some of the relationship stuff with grant and there's a little bit more of a um a youthful kind of quality to her in the book like she seems seems younger in the book to me like she's she just I think started she, working i was gonna say i think she is young yeah. like much younger than yeah. alan grant in the book than yeah. in the movie yes. where they're they're a little bit closer to the same age so in, yeah for sure and that part of that could have been wanting to give them some sort of romantic thing yeah because it's not there in the book um ian malcolm this one is interesting this is, yeah so this is interesting <laughs> uh both in terms of the characterization and in terms of the the, the actual um journey of the character um i will say this uh jeff goldblum is 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 Jeff Goldblum is Ian Malcolm. Um, just like we said, the, out of all the Jurassic Park characters, I can't unsee Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm, period. Absolutely not, no. He's described in the book as a little bit schlubby as well. I think he's balding. He's not. Ex- he's probably what you would anticipate. The thing is, though, he's probably what you would anticipate like a, like an expert mathematician to, or chaos theorist to look like. Right. But like, I also buy Goldblum being that guy too. Well, don't they describe him a little bit as like uh, as like a rock star? Yes. Okay. He's just a little bit. Uh, he's a little bit maybe like a washed up rock star a little bit in the book. <laughs> like Whereas like he's yeah. a, his prime in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's the scene where he's on the the bed, right, or the the table. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pure sex. Um, <laughs> but uh, the big difference here, there's similar characters in a lot of ways in terms of how they deal with the chaos theory and, and how they react to what's going on in the chaos island around in them. the book is like a big... It's, like, a, it's very heavy. Yes. It, it, it opens up every chapter. There are multiple passages yeah, to that. Exactly, yes. yes. And, and he rants, and, and the thing is, so similar events happen in... They're, they're very different. Malcolm in the movie, uh, I wouldn't say is necessarily outwardly obsessive about his science. In the book, it's it is his character. He is one, always a, always a scientist. There's very little beyond him um, expounding on his theories to everybody who will listen, and even to people who don't want to listen. Um, in the movie, he certainly has a lot more. He flirts a bit with Ellie. He's a little bit goofier and has a little bit more of a sense the of humor about chaos things. theory scene in in general, like the, yep. where he explains it, and it's actually done really economically and well in the movie, yes. where they kind of they get the point across in essentially Very one quick. scene. Yes. Yeah, and I think it it works well enough. I think it it's does. a great example of that. But yeah, it does. And I, I I I and I we talked a little bit about preferring. I think the movie versions of 
Ellie and Grant, and I think admitting that in part that is because we started with the movie and that's so near and dear to our hearts. I think that's fair to say that that's part of it. With Malcolm, I legitimately think Malcolm in the movie is a more interesting and fun character, and and, and I think a better character than the book. He's kind of annoying in the book. He just goes on and on, and part of that, honestly, is when the the character is, is... uh, wounded, gravely wounded in both versions by the T-Rex attack. Uh, his leg is wounded. And in the movie, he's in and out of it and he's kind of beat up and stuff, but he's still very active in terms of helping out despite his setback, right? In the book, he is dying for, for most of the book. For, for most of the book, yeah. And hallucinating and going in and out of consciousness and he's he's rambling about chaos theory and he's a mess um, and, and the, dies at the end of the book. I was going to say, towards the end, he goes on multiple rants about just random topics and it's, it's there are weird, but like there's a global warming rant at one point. Like it's, it's just, it feels, a lot of it feels out of place and almost weirdly enough, like editorializing in some ways. Um, well, it's, it's Crichton, right? It's, thing, Crichton, yeah. it's Crichton using the character to say what he wants to say about everything, everything he, he wants <laughs> to talk about. The problem there is that, yeah, it's some of my least favorite stuff in the it's, book, honestly. It gets yeah. old after a while. Mm-hmm. That might be somewhat by design. It actually kind of works in some ways because it makes you like feel pity for the character at that point because you're like, God, stop. Just like, shut up. Like, yeah. It sounds, just die. Like, right. Because it, this is horrible, this existence that you're living in right now. And it's he and Hammond at the end, right? Yes. That are, that are talking. And those yes. two characters together, um, especially in the book, are just, they're too much for me. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Um, but I, I think... I. But you're right. Yeah. I think in the book, he certainly, once, once he's... Once he gets hallucinating and rambling and stuff, it's just kind of sad, and you just want him to not be a part of the story anymore, if I'm being honest. Excuse me, if I'm being honest. Um, So let's talk John Hammond. This is is perhaps the greatest departure uh, between the character in the film and in the book, right? Um, It's hard to argue, I think, otherwise. This John Hammond in the movie is... Certainly misguided, um, as he is in the book. Certainly naive to what's going on around him in a lot of ways, as he is in the book. Certainly has an ego, like he does in the book. However, the main difference is that John Hammond in the film is a good guy at heart and is doing this for what he believes are the right reasons. The John Hammond in the book is an absolute piece of shit and is doing it for all the wrong reasons. Is that fair to say? The John Hammond in the movie, to me, is like the romanticized version of Walt Disney. Like 100%. He is Walt Disney. He's this. He's opening yep. up this park for kids to come and enjoy it and for people to experience it's the It's all magic. described in that, that beautiful scene about the flea circus. Yep. That That's it. That's yes. John Hammond in the movie, right? Yeah, like, that's, that's John Hammond. In the book, he's like the most cynical possible take of Walt Disney you can imagine. Like, actually, it's beyond that. <laughs> like, it's, it's it's almost it's almost maniacal sometimes. It is. He is. Yeah, you're right. He's like he's he's psychotic and he's also just mean and nasty and like he never has that like um for like a better like that come to Jesus moment. Never. Kind of, Not no, once. Like, <laughs> he literally doesn't learn a thing. No, ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even as he dies, even as he's being eaten alive, he's by the, still he's still ranting and raving, and he's also like he doesn't care like he doesn't want it to be open to everybody like it's only like for the people that for can the elite afford it yeah yep. they can come and <laughs> he is coming and you know what? it's part of the big difference between the book and the movie too yep. is 
the book to me feels, and this is one thing I do like a little bit better about the book. It feels like a living, breathing theme park. Like it's going to become some sort of theme park. Like you can feel the different areas and they have an aviary in the book and you have all these. It's laid out very nicely. The movie never gets to that point. It almost feels like more of an early stage zoo at some point. It's like agreed. people just kind of, they, you can see it as like a safari for people to go to. The, the book does a better job of conveying that like, this is like a theme park and this is the book is more of a, because he also Creighton has some weird stuff about theme parks because he he wrote Westworld too mm-hmm. wrote directed Westworld mm-hmm. the movie too and he's he's critiqued them in the past um, so so it is interesting kind of through line from that to this so it is a very cynical take on on, on the entire business of theme parks in some ways well and I'm not going to disparage theme parks but, but I think we I think that there is an inherent zoos generally at least by today's standards and I'm not talking about like mom and pop zoos those can be shifty i think yeah i'm talking about major you know major zoos to detroit zoo for instance they are generally received and 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 i think for most folks uh thought about as relatively positive um establishments in terms of i think um both education for people and in terms of animal conservation today i'm not saying it's always been that way theme parks have a slight undercurrent of sleaziness no matter what right yeah because they're a product especially theme parks like now that I think about it that have like animals in them that feels a little sleazy Uh, feels a little different so those two things and the way that the book does a better job of like explaining to you this is a theme park there's gonna be rides and shit yeah Uh, that works better with that John Hammond It, it kind of works perfectly i think with that version of john hammond because he's significantly sleazy <laughs> compared to and i do want to get real quick give a positive mark to jurassic world at, at getting that right too yes. in the movie it fe- jurassic world feels like a living breathing theme park it in does. a lot of ways it feels yes. like the realization of of this so 100 yes. percent um and we should mention of course uh john hammond dies horribly in the book <laughs> which he probably deserves Com- <laughs> uh, what are they called compies compies yeah they eat Compsog- him alive. yeah tiny little chicken sized dinosaurs basically eat him alive um it goes on a while too it goes on for a long time um as he's ranting and raving about how he like at one point and i could be misremembering at one point he borderline wishes that his grandchildren would just get killed so he could sweep it under the rug or like he's maybe he doesn't wish it but he like is kind of like it might just be easier if they just disappeared on the island somewhere that might be better like he's a terrible human being. <laughs> so, I was reading this. You know, I do like what a bad guy gets their come up. It's I great. This. But I was reading this on the way back from a theme park, ironically yeah. enough. And I was I was on the plane and I was sitting there just kind of laughing at the, at his death. Look. Like this is hilarious. It's amazing. <laughs> um, all right, let's dig into some of the other characters. These are more more of our supporting characters. Let's dig into one of my personal favorite. I think one of everybody's personal favorites. Yeah. Uh, portrayed in the film by the late great Bob Peck, Robert Muldoon. The big game hunter. He's like that. He's like that big white hunter. The, yeah, the absolutely. White hunter. Yep. He, yes, exactly. And he looks at the part in the movie, and he feels the part in the book. I think both versions of Muldoon rock. Muldoon think, is more of an alcoholic in the book, though, right? Which I love. <laughs> I love it so much. You don't really much. know enough about him in the I movie. I feel like he could be a drinker in the movie, too. I think, yeah. Like, you're catching him on a decent day because he has to be, but like as soon as everybody goes to bed, he's tearing through him. What do you think Muldoon would drink? This is kind of dark, but like like a whiskey. I, yeah, I whiskey. Think, yeah. I think like a whiskey, sure, like a Scotch whiskey. Yeah. Um, but um, Muldoon, the the big difference is, I think, I think there's similar characters in both the film and the book. I think it's a pretty faithful adaptation, right? 
Um, he's bigger and burlier and more like Arnoldy size in the book, which I love. <laughs> he's kind of more of an action hero. Yes. where he's a little more slender and yeah. Yes, and he shoots rocket launchers in the book and blows raptors into pieces in the book, which is fucking awesome. Um, yes. He also lives in the book. Muldoon makes it out. He survives the he book. He does. He does survive this. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Too, he seems to maybe have a little bit more of a, there's maybe a bit more of like a mutual respect thing in the movie between he and the Raptors. Whereas in the book, I feel like he's just he like, he wants to kill them. So there's moments in the movie where he does mention like they should be destroyed, but he's specifically okay. talking about the yep. Raptors. Yes. But he ha- does have a sense of respect in the movie. And it seems like he has a sense of responsibility and ownership over making sure that if these things are going to be alive, then I'm going to make sure that they... In the book, he's kind of like, this is fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what are we doing here? But he's getting paid. Right. So he's culpable in all of it in the yeah. book, for sure. Um, and like I said, the big difference, certainly from their trajectory, is that in the in the movie, obviously, in, in a really incredibly memorable scene, uh, Clever Girl, um, he gets killed by the Raptors, which is kind of a great moment in the movie because it comes kind of full circle with his early introduction with the Raptors. Um, in the book, he's able to like kill a few Raptors with rocket launchers, which is insane to me. <laughs> I can see why maybe this wasn't in the film, um, <laughs> but it's rad as hell. Um, and, uh, and he makes it out. Uh, I like Muldoon in both instances. I think he's sweet. Um, a great example here too of Muldoon and a couple other characters we'll talk about later who, mm-hmm. Spielberg, I think, does a great job. Spielberg and I, I David Kep is the writer, and I think yes. Crichton helped a little bit with uh, screenplay. Uh, Crichton well. had a pass. Crichton yeah. had a pass at it too. So just a great job of doing doing a lot with a little in some ways, and providing these memorable moments for these characters that um, maybe don't that maybe are that have more to do in the book and and being able to kind of to kind of convey everything they have in just a short couple of scenes i think so yeah and, it's really expediency and it's it's just great like and performance wise too because bob peck you mentioned into it as we get into wayne knight and sam jackson later like, yeah i remember these characters yeah um even though they don't have a ton to do in the movie well and spielberg spielberg is amazing because um, you know, I think some people like to shit on, not even as much as they used to, but some people like to shit on Spielberg because he is like the director. He's a populist director, right? But Spielberg, like he, <laughs> the amazing thing is like, he does everything so well. Like, especially this era. Yeah. Or this movie. Yes. This is like, he's huh. an actor's director. Yeah. He's a special effects director. He's a cinematography director. He, he, he's like, most directors are like really known for one or two of those things. He's like can do it all like really consistently well, especially like during this this heyday. Um, he still can, but especially yeah. during this heyday. Um, so he's yeah. So not not enough can be said about his talents. I don't think. Um, yeah. Anything about else about Muldoon besides being fucking awesome? <laughs> no, we're, yeah, I'm good yeah. there. It's great. Um, let's talk about the kids. Uh, Tim and Lex together. Tim and Lex. That's yeah. kind of yeah, because they, they're always together. Um, they're kind of two. The, you get one, you get the other, right? They're a pair. So, um, I'm just gonna say it right now. Lex is so much better in the movie. Lex sucks the, in the, the book. <laughs> Lex, is the female of yeah, the female. She's older in the movie, younger in the book. In the book, which is fine. I yeah. the, the age thing didn't bother me so much. It's the, the it's the the usefulness. I mean, there, Lex is useless in the book. There's yeah. nothing she complains. I mean, and she's she's a little girl. She's a little bit. She's written as a little bit. <sighs> Kind of prissy, kind I of guess. Kind of bratty. Uh, bratty yeah, in the bratty, book. whiny. Yeah. Um, she's not that in the movie. She really handles herself in the movie. There's moments that she has her moments, but she's a kid. 
you know, like you get sneezed on by a brontosaurus, you're probably going to be, or a brachiosaurus, you're probably not going to yeah. love it either, right? <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, so the, she, has, she also gets the hacker ability. Exactly, basically, and I think that the, was that yeah. was genius because yes. it gives her a moment. It yeah. gives her an important role at a very important moment in the book. She saves everybody in that moment. Basically, they they do a great job in the movie of taking the positive qualities of the two kids and dispersing them evenly throughout the two children. In the book, all the positive qualities go to Tim, and Tim, all the negative qualities go to Lex. Yeah, Tim does everything, because he's everything. also the dino... He's the yeah. dino expert, yeah. he's the hacker, he's everything in the book. Um, giving she, Lex that, She likes baseball in the book, basically. <laughs> which is, I find... Which they nod to in the movie a little bit. Yeah, they do yeah. Give, they she's give got her, the like, cap this, and yep. stuff, so... Um, but I think we would both agree. I mean, they, they basically have the same journey, both of them do, for the most part, in terms of, like where they start the story and where they end the story. They both start off as visitors. They get off the island. Um, and they both have, in both versions, they have relatively, it seems like, decent relationships with their grandfather. The difference, of course, is how he feels about them. Um, <laughs> he literally sees them as like guinea pigs, basically, in yes. the book. Um, in this, he genuinely seems like... There, there's. A, I, th- I think they mention in both versions um, that their parents are going through a divorce. And that it's giving them a chance to kind of get away from like it, this is going to give the kids a chance to like do something fun for. And I think that genuinely he's like in the movie version, John Hammond is like, I want to give these kids a chance to like get away and and I I want my grandkids to be the first ones to experience the wonder I've created for children, right? Yep. Like I want you know I did this for these kids and, and the rest of the kids of the world. In the book, he's like, well, I need to drag some kids through this thing. Who better than these? two jabronis <laughs> sure hope they don't screw it up anyway um but yeah tim and lex i i think they're a they're maniac. Is, what a maniac he's insane <laughs> um the, i would say that tim and lex certainly in the in the movie version are about as good as you're ever going to get in terms of either a child performances in this type of movie or b the way a kid is written that feels real but not obnoxious in this kind of movie that's about as good as it gets like this is this is they're like perfect they feel like kids and kids can be a little annoying, but they, but they never overstay their welcome and they always feel an important part of the story and necessary for the tale that's being told by, by Spielberg, right? Yeah. Spielberg has a lot of Spielberg's strength come from how he uses child actors. And that's kind of been, that's kind of been his MO throughout his career, especially yeah. Post, post like Jaws. Right. <laughs> um, right. As he got more into stuff like ET and yeah, it's kind of how he utilizes those child actors because he always does a great job too of making like the kids. It's a very, they're very organic performances uh, from those two kids. They feel like kids to me. Yeah. They don't feel like class, like trained actors in the movies. And I think, I think they do a great job. I think they're two great kids kid performances i agree completely um all right let's talk about some of the rest of the crew right some of the folks that are uh, that are working for john hammond to see his vision come to life um i actually i'm gonna start with john arnold who i believe is ray arnold in one of the versions is that correct am i right about that i think he's ray arnold in the movie i I thought he was just arnold in the movie maybe they just refer to they didn't want two characters named john in the movie i know this um (laughs) that makes sense so john arnold um Portrayed by the great Sam Jackson in the film, um, this is a fairly faithfully adapted character as well. Yeah, he feels like Sam Jackson was the perfect guy to portray the book version of Arnold. Yes, the two of them go hand in hand. He certainly has a lot more to do in the book, like any character does, because there's just more 
room to breathe. But they're pretty straight. You get a little up bit more backstory. Backstory, in the yep. book. yeah, because he's like an aerospace engineer. I love the, all yeah. that. Yep. And I can take all that from the book. And when I watch the movie now, I can like project it onto Sam, and I, I get more, even more out of that now. Right. I love that when you when you're able to go back and read a book and go, cool. Like now, when I watch the film, I feel more invested in this character just beyond the initial, the actual performance, because now I have that that background knowledge. Yeah, you know, even if this version of the character has a completely different background, it doesn't matter. I can I can project that, which is cool. Um, in both versions, he he meets his grisly demise at the hands of the raptors. Um, <laughs> Chainsmoker in both versions. Too. In both, yes. Yeah, back it, when you could smoke in uh, in TV and movies. Yeah, and, and especially in like a major like in yeah. like a major release. Yeah, I know. I yeah, know. it's interesting. And he was smoking inside. He was smoking in the I know room. puffing around. <laughs> yeah, man, those computers are going to get nasty after a while. Uh, anyway, I, I, sign of the times. Yeah. He's fun. He just feels like like a guy who's there to do his job and get the F out at the yeah. end of the day. And I love him. You need a character like this because you've got your very sciencey characters. You've got your characters like Muldoon, who's a little larger than life and this big white hunter. You've got your John Hammonds. You've got these little kids running around. You need somebody who's just like, like what the fuck is going on? Like that, yeah. that despite the fact that he is also very skeptical. And the, one of the best lines of the movie, which is the hold on to your butt sign. <laughs> so good. It's so good. Um, yeah. Love John Arnold in both, in both versions. Sad to see him go, of course, but um, he definitely serves the body count purposes in both cases. Anything else about, 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 about old Arnold that you can think of? Just uh, another one. Yeah. Or with Muldoon who gets all you get a lot with a little in yes. the movie as well so. yep um, Dennis Nedry uh, the park's computer expert I guess programming expert um, played by Wayne Knight in the film version um, another yeah another memorable performance yeah. absolutely <laughs> does a lot with a little always remember um, the barbersaw can too we'll never forget his the squealing can. when he sees the because the barbersaw can yeah then just the barbersaw in general that can has never changed it no. is the same can from 1993 now <laughs> yes it never has changed uh, and, and with, as somebody who doesn't shave I know I still know well it's nice about barbersaw is like too you could like you could have a can from 1993 and still be using it the same can today because barbersaw lasts forever I bought barbersaw it's sweet you just I think I have a can so much foam out of it. I, I know I think I have a can stored somewhere that was given to me my, my like my grandma was going through my grandfather's things when he passed and she's like can you use any of this stuff and I'm like I'll take the barbasol and I'll you know like whatever yeah, yeah. like of course, I think you still have it, and it's still like perfectly functional. And like Barbasol is my goal, go-to uh, shaving cream because because it lasts forever, and yeah. also because it's the most delicious-looking shaving it cream. Is. It looks like it looks like whipped cream. It he, is. Yeah, he even puts it on the uh, he puts it on the pie in the movie. <laughs> he does. Yeah. Um, Nedry's actually pretty. Once again, pretty faithfully say, adapted. This is a pretty faithful adaptation. Most of the supporting characters are pretty faithfully adapted. Um, Wayne Knight fits the role to a T. If you're reading the book. Um, He's sleazy. He's gross. Uh, he's not the most despicable character because, quite frankly, you can understand he's just doing it for money. At least, like at least with that, there's there's an element. There's a difference between him and Hammond because, at least, I can understand Nedry's a terrible person. But at least I can understand why he's doing what he's doing, and he really legitimately thinks he doesn't think anything that he's doing is going to cause any major issue with the park. He's going to be in and out and be yeah. done with it. He's stupid in a lot of ways. He's naive in a lot of ways. Um, he's bumbling in a lot of ways, but. He the difference between him and Hammond in terms of like a villainous role is that he 
he never goes into it thinking like I could put lives at risk. That's not a concern. He feels like, like more of a pawn yeah. too. And, but he also, he's just driven by greed. Whereas Hammond is driven by greed and he's insane. Yes. <laughs> like he's a lunatic. Yeah, he's lost his mind. <laughs> um, while we're talking about Nedry, let's jump to Lewis Dodgson real quick. Cause those, t- he's working for Dodgson, right? He's the guy in the red polo from the movie. Yes. yes. He's briefly in the film. Um, he's a little bit more featured in the book. Um, he is uh, kind of the the face, at least in this story, of this rival company that's trying to steal John Hammond's uh, dinosaur secrets, right, in both versions. Um, interestingly enough, so in the movie, he's very briefly in there. He's got one scene with Nedry, and then he's kind of gone. He pops up in the book a handful of times. He's mentioned a handful of times and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, he actually would be back in the sequel, to the book uh he is back in lost world and he's a big part of that plot he's trying to steal eggs right is the thing in this one yeah i read that yeah the embryos and everything and then eggs in the in the lost world yeah so dodgson's kind of fun because he's kind of a jurassic park villain which is interesting quick sidetrack what are what are the bad guys in uh the movie version of the lost world what to do it's i'm they're they're doing the same thing dodgson's doing in the book but instead of using dodgson they use john hammond's nephew okay Oh, I don't know why. Honestly, <laughs> just bring back Dodgson because he was set up in the right? movie. Yeah, I thought that always thought that was weird. Um, I loved having the idea of like a shadowy, shady guy. I I don't know. I hope they kind of bring him back. I think they are. I think he is going to be in the new one. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he. And I think he may be the villain, but I'm not sure. That'd be cool. Um, I don't have a ton to say about Dodgson. He's a shady corporate type. Uh, he's a bad guy. He's nefarious. He's what you expect, kind of in both versions. He's a little funnier in the movie. Yeah. He's got a funny bit with, with uh, Wayne Knight. Yes. So, yeah. Um, the rest of the crew. Uh, Donald Gennaro. We really need to talk about Gennaro. Okay, or Gennaro. Gennaro. Um, Gennaro is a totally different character in the book than in the film. In the film, Gennaro is a sleazy lawyer who is, once he discovers what's going on, on the island, is going to do anything he can to make sure this thing gets opened up because he wants money. Yes. Okay. And he gets, I think he's the first person to get taken out. He gets taken out by the T-Rex. In the book, Gennaro is- He gets eaten on the toilet. He gets, yeah, he gets he, eaten on the toilet. Yeah. Famous scene. Yeah. In the book, Gennaro is still a lawyer, still a little sleazy, becomes a bit more heroic despite the fact that he's not a good guy, perhaps. He's like built like a bodybuilder in the book <laughs> and stuff. He's the opposite in terms yeah, of like he's physical like description. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, he helps out and like I think he kills a raptor at one point. <laughs> like he's a kind of a badass. He's still a bad guy and he gets confronted for it. Yeah. But he's like, he does what he has to do to help. Like he wants to help find the kids. He's, like a, he's like a John Grisham character. Like, yes, uh, yeah. he's all right, you know. Um What's interesting is, and we'll talk about him now, there's a character that's only in the book uh, named Ed Regis. And Ed Regis was blended with Donald Gennaro for the film into one character, interestingly enough. Ed Regis is like the head of public relations for InGen. And he's like, in part, their tour guide. He's the one who's going to make sure this tour goes as perfectly as humanly possible for everybody, including Gennaro, because he wants this park to open no matter what, because he wants the money. They basically took Ed Regis, dumped all of his negative qualities into Gennaro for the movie, and made that one character. In the book, Ed Regis is a scumbag. Like, he immediately runs when the children are under attack from the T-Rex, much like the movie version of Gennaro. He's gone. Uh, He's even more despicable in the the book. Like, he's actually like Hammond Jr. in a lot of ways, because he's like, like, there's moments when he's like, God, these kids are going to screw this up. Like, how, like, what an idiot, you know? Um, 
he gets eaten by a baby the a baby t-rex which is a character that's not in the the film version there's a juvenile oh t-rex. yeah that's the other thing about Muldoon we didn't touch on yeah there yeah. is a there's a t-rex that he shoots with a trank gun that's, yes. in, the, that's in the raft yes. part yeah and there's a juvenile t-rex in the in the lost world film which I think was another thing that was borrowed from from this. Yes. But uh, Ed Regis's death is brutal in the book too, because the T Rex like is described as playing with him before, like it keeps knocking, like <laughs> jumping on his back and like holding him down so yeah. he can't breathe, and then letting him go, and then jumping on. It. It's really rough. But you're like the deaths in the book are pretty pretty gnarly, and and most of them you're like, well, I mean, you're like you're not rooting for them to get killed because you know there's a certain coldness. But you're kind it, of yeah. like, all right, <laughs> like. <laughs> to you move on. Just screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> what you bring um, back that is this is also too is a good example of of kind of what we talk about on the show is uh, I mean for certain mediums you have to edit it down and yes. it's combining two characters that maybe are a bit repetitive like these two characters in some ways can be it, it's a great way to kind of streamline things and just combine it into one character. And it makes a ton of that. sense for me and works perfectly in the movie and I think the performance in the movie is really fun. Me too. Yeah. So. Um, I love how he tries to wave off the T-Rex in the movie before he gets eaten <laughs> off the toilet. It's so funny to me. That death is so funny. It's not scary or horrible. No. It's hilarious. Yes. Um, let's move on to the last couple of characters we want to talk about. Um, Henry Wu. Uh, here's a character that's had an interesting history in the Jurassic Park uh, mythos, various versions. He's been in video games. He's been in comic books. He's been in the movies. He's been in the, the original book. And he's he's mostly portrayed as villainous now. I mean, he's kind of like one of the big bads of the film series still. Yes. Like, in the original movie, he seems like an okay guy, once again, misguided, but, like, you know, he's a scientist. He does what scientists do. He pokes and prods and sometimes makes the wrong calls. But he seems like an okay guy in the movie, right? Like, you know, I don't know. He gets annoyed when he's questioned. Yeah. Yeah, in the movie, but he's only got, like, one scene, right? Yeah, and then he leaves. Yes. Uh, In the book, he's around for the entirety of the book, more or less, and then it winds up getting killed by the raptors as well. I think he gets... It's a, a kind of a it's another horrifying death scene where the raptor I think jumps uh, he's on a balcony or something mm-hmm. and the raptor jumps up and pulls him down and they can hear Wu being ripped apart by the raptors below. I think the raptors are tearing him apart slowly because it's like they, a pack of raptors. Like yeah, yeah, and the, the, like Wu's screaming for help because the raptors are actually trying to get somebody to go down and help him because they're smart and they want to. Yeah, it's horrifying stuff. Um, so the thing with Wu though is yeah. he's a part of that subplot that gets kind of short shrifted in the movie yes. which is the subplot of the mating making all the dinosaurs female which is mentioned in the movie but then they talk about how they kind of evolve into male and female yes. and the other thing too with him is a lot of his scenes in the book are told through flashbacks yes with John, him him and john hammond kind of talking about the park and hammond kind of recruiting him right yep and in the movie that stuff is not necessary for the story that they're trying to tell and no, honestly he's very in and out in the movie yeah and honestly i the flashbacks in movies are tough to tough to pull off for me yeah. and i think it would have it would have broke up the action adventure flow of the Agreed. movie to to just start flashing back to stuff like the Agreed. creation of the park yeah and i think because you're cutting uh all the john john hammond like bad guy stuff yeah and you're cutting the major subplot of the ticking clock of the dinosaurs reaching the mainland wu is very unnecessary beyond those those things i think yes it's just you don't need it um, played by the great bd wong though, love bd wong. Sure. wong can't wait to see him pop back up in the new jurassic park because i know he's in this one too yeah. doing some my wife has mustache a, a signed picture of bd wong that she got she he came to speak um oh at, my God. At college she met bd wong she met bd wong yeah he was came it cool to speak. did she yeah, say anything about it yeah she's a great it says like i can't remember what the inscription says but it's a nice little signature that's from BD. excellent <laughs> yes. i've always been a fan of his i was yeah. i was i like bd wong um 
What was the big show he was on? Was he? He, he was, was on, on Law and Order. Law and Order. Thank yeah. you. Yes, I knew he was on one of those like procedural type. Yes. Yeah. Um, let, last character I want to mention, uh, Jerry Harding. Jerry Harding is the the resident veterinarian on oh, site. Yeah. Yep. Um, once again, another character that has a lot more to do in the book. Um, sticks around. Doesn't have a ton to do. I should say he's just kind of there. Um, he gets killed in the book as well by the Raptors. I believe. Am I am I misremembering this? He does die in the book, yes? I think so. All okay. I remember with him, though, is like in the in the book is a stegosaur that he's treating, right? That's sick? Yes. And in the movie, it's a triceratops. Yes. I, Interesting I change. Curious about the change of that. Maybe they just like triceratops. Spielberg tricer- probably just like triceratops more. Maybe he's like me, likes triceratops more. Which yeah. is fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Um, uh, interestingly enough, his daughter is a lead character in both the, um, the novel and film sequels to this the lost world uh she's okay Sarah it's just Harding. those two books right just the two books yeah okay just the two books um I, I should mention he does not get killed by the raptors he does wind up surviving he is wounded by the raptors during their big assault on the the compound he's hurt by them but he does get off on the chopper in the end of the the the, the book i forgot i can never remember if he dies or not it's so funny um he there's not a ton of, i mean he he's the vet and he's another guy who's caught up i think too much in the science and the wonder of what they've accomplished to really acknowledge the horror of what's going on. He's another character that plays into that. And yeah. and he has some nice scenes with Ellie, um, specifically when they're dealing with the, the Stegosaurus, the six Stegosaurus in the film and in the, he has a fun little bit in the, in the film where he's talking about like, he's hypothesizing about what could be wrong with the Triceratops. And, and he doesn't do a ton in the movie uh, and doesn't do, really do a ton in the book just gets to stick around a little bit longer i don't have a preference here to be honest with you yeah um he's another one has to wonder why Crichton kept him alive in the book to be completely honest with you i i there's a, like a lot of folks make it off the island in the book um actually um he almost feels like a character that i'm surprised Crichton didn't off because like you know the way the book is written you kind of expect a bit of a body count and there is there's yeah. no question there um, but I'm so, almost surprised he, he kept the character alive, to be honest with you. It almost feels a, a surprise to the point where I like, I remember him dying. <laughs> anyway, um, I think that's all the characters. I, I can't think of anybody yeah, else you we really need to Adrides, dig right? into. Yep, yep. And we talked um, about Gutierrez. That was the other one I had. Yeah. Yep. Um, in terms of the, the, the plot, it's basically the same between the two movies minus the ex- the the excising of those two subplots we mentioned the subplots and yes. then I, the the big one too is the raft scene too which we talked a we little bit about we should mention the raft scene yes so like we said before it was adapted in in, in the adaptations of the film for the genesis um, and in the the theme park ride adaptation of the film um, this was present. So one, I wonder if this was kept around for a while before they ditched it. Yeah, why do this you think sounds this sounds like was budgetary cut. Budget cuts, me. yeah. And maybe just, I, it might be a pacing issue too where, I mean, especially if you are, if you're saving the big T-Rex moment for the end as well. You get the big moment at the end and you get the big moment in the fields with the Gallimimus. Yes. So you, how many of those do you need? You almost risk doing, and I wonder, Spielberg's experience on Jaws was always, and part of that was purely because the shark didn't always look great. Bruce didn't always look great. Was do as much as you can to keep keep the monster off screen as much as possible. And I think he stuck with that a little bit in this. Right. He covers the T Rex oftentimes in rain. He does a lot of close up shots of the T Rex eye. 
the T-Rex only shows up a couple times, and when it is in full light and full glory, it makes much more of an impact because you see it so sparingly. Right. It's this this agent of chaos that's able to show up when our characters are taking a deep breath, and because you've got a shorter runtime and you need to maximize that visual impact of the T-Rex, I think he cuts stuff like this. The T-Rex is much more present in the book because it's always show, it's, it's, it's almost chasing Grant and the kids throughout the course of the book. It's pursuing them. In this, in, in the film, you want it to pop up in those moments when you need a, a rise out of the audience. And you need to, yes. Yeah. And I do yeah. like the, yeah, and the movie does, I mean, the movie gives the, the, that trio, the Grant and the two kids, a chance to breathe for a second, too. You need that. And you need that, yeah. I think, too. Because, yeah, and, and I think another action scene in the movie actually would really hurt them. It might detract. Yeah. Yeah. So I think all that bit with them, they, they ride on a raft in the book and, and going through the aviary and being swooped by the pteranodons and stuff like that. All that sequence, I understand why it was cut. There is some interesting stuff because, once again, the sequence with the waterfall where the T-Rex is poking its head through the waterfall when they're trying to hide out in this maintenance shed area in the right. book was included in the Lost World film adaptation. Um, there's a sequence where the characters are backed up into the waterfall and the T-Rex head comes in. Uh, okay, I'm not remembering um, this. Yeah, and then there, uh, the Pteranodon sequence when they're in the aviary and they are swooped and attacked by Pteranodons is in Jurassic Park 3, the film. Okay. Uh, so they were able to they were able to take those sequences and include them in later films, which is very cool because they're good sequences and they work great in the book. Right. But once again, from a pacing standpoint, I think you're right. I think it would detract from the film. I just think it would take away because the rest Jurassic Park is a perfect film. I think. Yeah, I would agree. I, I mean, think it's, do, is yeah. it one of my favorite of all time films? Not necessarily. I'm not saying that, but it is a perfect film. It achieves it is, everything yeah. it sets out to do, and excels in, he, in so many places. Yeah, he has a couple, and this is uh, this is up there with my favorite of Spielberg's movies. I think I think maybe Jaws and Jaws is up there for me. I think Jurassic Park because of the nostalgia factor edges out Jaws a little bit. Oh, but and I I've also I, I I always I don't always forget about the Indiana Jones movies, but I always associate them he and Lucas together with them. And, and those are like an, on an island of being Indiana Jones. They're not Spielberg movies; they're Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, that's he right? and Lucas working together. Yeah. To, in my head, that's those two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and and I was never an ET guy, if I'm being honest. Um, anything else we want to talk about plot wise? I think thematically, tonally, certainly, the when we've we've touched on this a ton. These are two incredibly different stories from a tone perspective. I think yeah. that's the big thing here. Certainly there are individual events, who lives and who dies. Some character motivations and characterizations are certainly different, and we covered that talking about characters. But the overall tone, this book is dread. Not dread. This book is dark, and this book is a lot of finger wagging and saying, Mm-mm-mm. and there's Very a lot of that. In, in some areas. No pun intended. Yeah. Uh-uh-uh. Um, <laughs> It's it's a cold book. It, I feel like if Christopher Nolan made Jurassic Park, th- it would be the book. Does that something make sense? Closer, something closer to the book. Yes. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, th- you know, and that's that's not a maybe even Ridley too. Ridley oh, is. Dude, yeah. Can you imagine? It yeah. would be the book. Yeah. And so it would I make think, no money. <laughs> I think people looking for something more like the book, Ridley Scott, like like Alien Ridley Scott is who I think of, or yeah, yeah. Even, uh, Alien uh, Covenant Ridley really Scott. <laughs> Dude, can you imagine? <laughs> Making the book. But you're right. Spielberg is always known, and he brings more of a human touch to it. Yes. There are moments of kind of meanness, like the, the eating sure. of the guy on the toilet. I think you need some of that. But it's a much more, ba- I think it's a, a very complimentary relationship. I like there, I like these two mm-hmm. together. Yeah, there's a tongue-in-cheek quality to a lot of the meanness in the movie. There's a lot of like, God, that's brutal, but it's kind of funny. Like, yeah. 
There's a lot more of that. So movies, um, yeah, very much action adventure. Yes. Yeah. Um, in terms of Spielbergifying something, I think this is the best example of it. I think it's the best example of like when you talk about somebody uh, taking something and making it Hollywood. This is this is how you do it. This yeah. this should be the boiler. Like this is the this is the the uh, absolute. If you want to adapt something, this is how you handle it. In my opinion, this is like the gold standard for that. Um, you know, the, the books in the movie end pretty similarly, minus the fact that we get a bit of an epilogue in the book that infers that, uh, minus the kids, everybody's going to be like detained in Costa Rica for the <laughs> foreseeable future. crazy. It's yeah. nuts. Yeah. Um, and, and it does get tied up in the sequel book. Let's talk about the sequels real quick. If you're cool with that, just briefly. Yeah. As, as you can tell, my, my memory of the movie is very, very vague. I don't remember a ton of the movie version of Lost World, and I've never actually read the sequel to the Lost World. So or the movie the is arguably book. Spielberg's weakest film. It's honestly that's the thing I don't remember it is because I feel like I kind of feel like he's directed like the end. Like yeah. that feels he really <laughs> wanted to bring a T Rex to the city. T Rex to the city, and then the rest. It feels like the most checked out he has ever been yeah. in any it's movie. Very, it's very, he's very checked out. He's made movies that I don't necessarily like, and I think maybe have have a worse reputation in some ways. But I don't think he's made one where I feel like he's checked out like he is in the Lost World. It's so rare because even in the ones yeah that don't work for me, I feel like there's an at least effort. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So the, the the story behind the sequel is that basically the movie was an insane smash hit. Um, they begged the studio, I think Universal begged Spielberg to make a sequel. Like, mm-hmm. please, he agreed to do it. And Spielberg is not a sequel guy. That's not his thing beyond the Indiana Jones films. Right. It's not something he's interested in. But doing. even that was, I mean, that was because he was working with Lucas. That was a little different. Yep. Um, and those were based on serialized stories anyway. So that kind of it lent worked. itself yeah. to that. Um, he said, I am not doing a sequel to this because there's no source material. Spielberg then begged Crichton to write a second book so he had something to work with. Crichton obliged. So literally, literally, literally the, the existence of the book, the book only exists because the studio wanted a second movie. That is the only reason Crichton wrote a sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it shows in both the book and the movie. And the funny thing about it is Spielberg doesn't, changes so much. Like it is not even remotely faithful in most ways. All the stuff in the city afterwards is not part of the book. Yeah. Which is the last, like, the last third of the movie, basically. Well, the last quarter, maybe. Um, Car- you know, it's funny that he begged Crichton to write a novel, like, a sequel novel, and then basically didn't use <laughs> use the broad strokes. Both, yeah. And then Both barely gun for hire more. jobs, too. It's so, yeah. yeah. Yes. So, there's a lot of, yeah. I think there is stuff to like in both. I think that The Lost World is worth a read, because I think Crichton's a solid writer. Uh, he does get caught up in his own science sometimes. There's no question there, and it can be a little bit drab when he gets. Too that's another thing that stuff. Spielberg brings to is a way to kind of relay that information yeah. in a way Very that's entertaining because and, yeah. it can get kind of dry and crazy. It can books. be, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think both are sequels. How about that? I'm going to go with that. They're not terrible, but no. they're sequels. They're very sequely in 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 all the ways that you anticipate a sequel being. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair way to put it. Um, but that so then that's it as far as the books go. But then the movies go on to like three Jurassic Park then, three, and then we got uh, Jurassic World. We got Jurassic World Fallen. Three Kingdom. is basically like a just a like a straight up like I don't know like dinosaur versus dinosaur uh, like ninety it's, minutes in and out. Yeah, yeah. I kind of I like three. But it's brisk. It's Joe Johnston. He knows how to make a movie. Worked with Spielberg, I think too. Yep. Yeah. 
in the past. And then World, World, like I said, has has kind of touches from the book as far as the theme park aspect. It does. It and, and World has a nice nostalgia effect. It knows what it is. It knows it's bringing back this setting and this feeling and this vibe. It does a pretty good job of making you feel happy and nostalgic that you're watching, you're entering this world again without being too schmaltzy. It's a it's a, it's a fine movie. I, I a lot of people like really don't like it. Yeah, I don't have. It's fine. Yeah, I don't have a major issue with it. Fallen Kingdom's kind of sweet. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, yeah, Fallen Kingdom kind of. I really liked Fallen. Fallen Kingdom is kind of like a horror movie. Yes. yes, the the back half of that thing. It felt is, cra- I remember saying, yeah, it felt Crichtony. Yes, yes, it feels Crichtony. It feels like an angry, weirdly directing uh, a, a Jurassic Park movie. It feels like Resident Evil with dinosaurs, which is Dino Crisis, I guess. It feels like that to me. It feels very... And I, I'm very excited to see if they can blend a little bit of that was, nihilism yeah. like and that, that anger and that grossness with a little bit of the levity and the funness of like that first Jurassic World and see what they can do to kind of blend the two together in this new one. I hope it happens. And like you mentioned too, where you're like, if Ridley directly make no money, like take a, take a look at the reception that that second Jurassic World sequel got. If, it made like, money the opening weekend, yes, for sure. And then, but nobody really, nobody seemed to like it. People don't even talk about it. <laughs> People yeah. don't even talk about it. Uh, yeah, it got, I don't think it was critically well received. Nope. Like, if you want to, if you want something more in tone with the, what the book is, that's the kind I of reception. Liked it, yeah, that's yes. the thing is, I did too. But like, but you kind of get to get that reception from a you understand audience. why. Yes, yes, you understand why the tones are so different. There's yes. a reason for it. Um, awesome, man. Anything else you want to talk about? I'm pretty good. I mean, did I, we do? I, did we decide which one you does it better? I mean, did we make a call on? That? Yeah, let's make a or call. Which one we prefer? I should I, say in this because they do both do it well. This is going to be a lame cop out. I th- look. I think they both do it. I think they both work perfect for me. Um, I certainly the book has its slow moments, but it's a book. Books have slow moments. Books have the, that's the part of the beauty of a book. I feel like is uh, there are rare books maybe where there's such page turners that you cannot put them down. That is rare, but but most books have these have these sections that these wind down sections that are a lot less of a lull than maybe a film because a film has to get there, get in and get out within a couple hours usually. Um, I think they're both perfect versions of the same story for their medium. Does that make sense? Yeah. I guess the movie where is overall I prefer the movie purely and I would admit that it's mostly because of a nostalgia factor um, and mostly because I think it's one of the best adaptations of all time in terms of it does such a great job of capturing so much of what made the book great but being its own beast. And I love that so much. So. For gonna, me, it's the movie slightly, but I yeah. think the book's really strong. Yeah, I'm going to go movie. Um, and like you said, I think maybe a lot of it has a new nostalgia too, but also the movie has those moments that stick with me. And I remember from the theater, and I don't even think this is nostalgia either when it comes to this. I think it's just one of the examples of like, those movies bringing that kind of awe and wonder and it's the and it's those moments you see those dinosaurs and like the first reveal of the dinosaurs and the music in the background that's the other thing the, uh, the, the score, score is incredible oh <laughs> just one of the great iconic themes ever um john so, carpenter should have scored the book that would have been <laughs> yes so just just all of those things work and the movie is a nice yeah nice example of all of those things kind of uh, coming together working mm-hmm. in unison and a beautiful and, marriage yeah creating the creating this work and so in this big blockbuster that's been so important for many years so i'm yeah going with the movie yeah awesome thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of multimedium um we are definitely trying to get these out a little more regularly it's never been a show that we've mentioned that we have any specific release date for so just be patient we will get another one out 
as a reminder, our next one will be The Warriors, which is, uh, of course, the Walter Hill film and the Rockstar Games uh, video game adaptation uh, continuation. It's an interesting beast. Uh, Warriors is available to watch, I'm sure, on Amazon, um, if not elsewhere. I, be- I don't believe it's free on any streaming services currently, um, but it is. you can rent it on Amazon. Um there are two versions of the Warriors. We mentioned that a little bit earlier. Um, I don't know which version is available streaming. So uh, my guess is it's that yeah, the updated Walter Hill version. Okay. The, yeah, the director's cut or whatever he called it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, I believe it's actually actually it's uh on HBO Max right now. Oh, cool. Um, and, and then available. I'm going to pretty much guarantee that's the that comic book version. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah, but you can rent it on YouTube. You can rent it on Vudu, Apple TV, a bunch of places. Um, Yeah, and then uh, the video game is available on certainly on PS4 to buy $15, I think, something like that. Or you can watch a YouTube playthrough, so... I was saying we'll go we'll go into detail on the video game too. Yes, we'll play we will. Too, so if you if you don't get the chance to play it, we'll, we will do our best. We'll, that's probably what we'll be focusing on. I think. A yeah, lot of it. for yeah. sure. So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.